a shower Saturday morning, and if some of the men could set up the tables uh, after service, that would be helpful. I've entitled this message, Perfection. Perfection. What do you think of when you think of that word? Perfection. In Leviticus chapter 22, verse 21, let me read this to you. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. What does God require for him to accept something? Perfection. No blemish. Really? Really. Literally? Literally. We have all known people who are what we would call perfectionists. And they have a very high standard for what they find acceptable. And invariably, these people are very unhappy people because they are such imperfect people. And if you're a perfectionist, you're going to stay pretty miserable. God is perfect. Immutably so. Immutably so. He can't get more perfect. He can't get less perfect. And he accepts nothing less than perfection. You believe that? He is unable to receive anything less than perfection. And he has made a way to make imperfect people perfect. What a glorious thought. These people are described in Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 as holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What a way to be. Holy, unblameable, unreprovable, that is perfect. Perfect in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected. You hear that word? He hath perfected forever. Them that are sanctified. Now think of that. 
No flaws. No sins. No inconsistencies. No contradictions. And I'm sure as I say that you're aware of a thousand flaws and inconsistencies and contradictions on your part. You're aware of those. But according to the scripture, every believer is perfect in Christ Jesus. Think of that right now. Let that wash over your soul. You are perfect in Christ Jesus. Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 7. If therefore perfection, that's where I got the title to this message. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, Now, under the law, Levi, he's the third son of Jacob. The Levites only could be priests. The sons of Judah could not be priests. The sons of Reuben could not be priests. Only the Levites could be priests. If someone else was a priest, it would defile the priesthood. You had to be a Levite or you could not be a priest. Now, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. That's talking about everything in the book of Exodus, in chapter 20, when they received the Ten Commandments, and then the civil laws, and then the uh, feast days, and the uh, commandments, and the uh, sacrifices, and all the paraphernalia of the tabernacle, all that law. Under it, the people received the law under the Levitical priesthood. That being the case, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Now, There's another priest, and he's not a Levite. And the Levitical priesthood, you know what those men were? Same thing you are, sinners. Sinners. No different than you. But this priest is not a sinner. Mel, here's a dick. For, verse 12, for the priesthood being changed... There is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now, since perfection could not come through the law or the priesthood of Aaron, uh, those sacrifices never put away one sin. There had to arise a a priest with a better sacrifice. A priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that being the case, there was... By necessity, a change in the law, a priest that did not come through the Levitical line. Verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken, being the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, 
For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. That none of the uh, he came out of Judah, none of them were priests, for it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it's yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, a king priest. Look in chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now, I have no doubt that this is Jesus Christ. There's only two men that were ever both a king and a priest, Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. And in reality, there's only one man who is a king and a priest, Jesus Christ the Lord, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, the king priest. Verse 15, and it is Yet far more evident, for after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made, not after the law of a carnal commandment. Now, Levi's sons, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, you remember they were killed for offering strange fire that didn't come from the altar. Why were they priests? Because they were sons of Aaron. And Eliezer, the next priest after that, uh, his son became a priest. His son became a priest. These were all sinful men. These were all flawed, fallible, sinful men, just like me and you. And yet they continue to be a priest for this one reason, a carnal commandment. You say, well, God gave that commandment. I know he did, but he calls it a carnal commandment, a fleshly commandment. The only reason you were a priest was because your daddy was a priest. No other reason. It didn't matter what kind of person you were. You were a priest because you were in the Levitical line. And it was a carnal commandment. Think of how many bad priests there were. There were some good priests. But there were a lot of bad priests. Corrupt priests. Unjust priests. Thieving priests. Um, they were made a priest after the law of a carnal, fleshly commandment. Not after, but he after the power of of an endless life. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, not because of his physical father was a Levite. It wasn't. He came out of the tribe of Judah, but because of the power of an endless life. He never died. And there was no reason to pass his priesthood on to somebody else. He's a, his, it's the power of an endless life, unlike the Levitical priest. He's the priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, he never dies. He never dies. There's nobody to pass the priesthood on to. He never dies. He said in the book of Revelation, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
and have the keys of hell and death. Now, he was dead. He did die. And his death is so unlike anybody else's death. You know, when, whenever one of us dies, when we're going to die, unless the Lord comes back, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't have much longer. I, already, I feel like I'm on the downhill slide right now. And uh, I'm glad. Can't wait to get out of here. I, I'm thankful to be here. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it. But, but I can't wait to be in his presence, to no longer be a sinner anymore, to behold his face. We're on the downhill slide. Some of you are young, but you're on the downhill slide too. You just don't know it yet. Um, but the point is, when a man dies, he may have achieved much in his life. But what does his death say? Failure. Weak. That's all death says. A sinner. That's the most accurate thing you could say about the man who dies. He was a sinner. He wouldn't have died if he wasn't a sinner. Defeat. But concerning the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, it said in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, they spake of the decease which he should accomplish. <laughs> you see, his death, unlike my death or your death, his death actually accomplished something. It accomplished the complete salvation of his people. And he was raised from the dead to never die again. And he has an un changeable priesthood. It's not passed to a different person. He is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For he testifieth, God testified of him. Verse 17. Thou art a priest forever. Eternally. After the order of Melchizedek. Now here's another reason why I know Melchizedek was the Lord Jesus Christ. He never died. He never died. Now Christ died uh, for a small amount of time. Melchizedek died. But he was raised from the dead to die never again. The great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now look what the writer to the Hebrews says with regard to this. He says in verse 18, For there is verily... A disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Now that is what God the Holy Spirit says about the entire Levitical priesthood. He talks about the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. It's weak and it's unprofitable. Are you speaking disrespectfully concerning God's holy law? No, I'm not. I'm just quoting what this passage of Scripture says. I love God's law. I love the Ten Commandments. I love everything in the law. But it was weak. It was unprofitable for this reason. It couldn't save anybody. No one was ever saved under the Levitical system. Therefore, it's called weak. It's called unprofitable. Hold your fingers there and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak, problem not with the law, problem with me. It can't do anything for me. The law was weak through the flesh. God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, let me say this about walking after the flesh and after the spirit. Somebody says, well, I was, I was in the flesh here and I was in the spirit there. No, 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 no. That's not what that's talking about at all. If you're a believer, you're always in the spirit. And if you're an unbeliever, you're always in the flesh. And what is it to walk in the spirit? Well, it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's the result of God giving you life. You've been given this new birth. And what happens out of that? You are said to fulfill the law. You. You personally. Does that mean that God gives us grace so in our flesh we're enabled to keep the Ten Commandments? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. It means you kept them. In Christ. That's exactly what that means. You kept them. You stand before God's holy law without guilt. And it's not because of the Levitical priesthood. It's not because of the commandments given in the law of Moses. Back to our text in Hebrews chapter 8. I mean 7. Verse 18. For there's verily, verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. For the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. Now remember, that's what we're looking for, perfection. The law made nothing perfect. As a matter of fact, all the law does is expose imperfection. All the law does is expose sin. I'm going to try to keep the law. You've already broken it the minute you breathe. Uh, and if you think you've kept one commandment one time, you have no understanding of the holy law of God. If you think you've kept one commandment, one, one time, you don't understand God's law. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which, that better hope, we draw nigh unto God. Now, the law made nothing perfect. I think of the scriptures, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The strength of sin is what? The law. The law. As long as the law is, and you try to keep it, all you're going to do is be exposed as a lawbreaker. That's it. By the law is the knowledge of sin. The strength of sin is by the law. So the law can't make any, anything perfect. But the bringing in of this better hope did. Now I have a hope. And while I was trying to think about bringing this message, I was asking myself, do I really believe what I'm preaching? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have a hope. That I'm going to stand before God 
on judgment and I'm going to be judged by God himself as perfect, having never sinned, having only done that which pleases God in this body. In this body. I'm not talking about me standing before God with some kind of paste on righteousness. I'm talking about standing before God in absolute perfection. Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight, I have lived a perfect, sinless life having never committed a sin. I believe that that's what justification is. If I'm justified, that means I've never committed a sin. You know all those sins you're conscious of right now and you grieve over now? You know, the scripture says, blessed are they that mourn. And I know that mourning's over sin. We mourn before God over our sin. Like David said, my sin is ever before me. David, I understand what you're saying. Mine's ever before me too. I'm always aware. It's always pressing me down. But I'm going to stand before God as one who really never has committed a sin and who's only done that which pleases God. Now that's the righteousness of Christ being my righteousness before God. Standing before God in absolute, utter complete perfection. Now, for him to call this a better hope is somewhat of an understatement, isn't it? (laughs) The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. That hope that what Christ did is what I did. That's what I was trying to say last week, last Wednesday night. What Christ did is what I did. It's not something that just counted to me. It's what I have done because when he did it, I did it. When he lived, I lived. When he died, I died. When he kept God's law, I kept God's law. When he was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. I'm united to him. So what he did is what I did. And I have a hope that everything between right now and when I stand before God in judgment is going to work together for my good and for his glory. Now, is that a better hope? What a better hope that is. Now, by this better hope, he says in verse 19, by the which we draw nigh unto God. You know, I can draw nigh to the Lord God. And this isn't some uh, presumptuous over uh, Bold familiarity, believing I'm perfect in Christ Jesus, I can with boldness draw nigh to God. Not, on, not phone is, not trying to prove to you how I'm close to God. No, I draw nigh through the blood of the Lamb, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, and inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. Now, Aaron's sons were, didn't become priests because of an oath that God made. They became priests because their daddy was a priest, and their granddaddy was a priest, and their great-granddaddy was a priest. But God made Christ priest by his own oath. He swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 21, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent. 
Thou art the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek came way before the law, didn't he? When he met Abraham at the slaughter of the kings in Genesis chapter 14. I mean, the law wouldn't come till 450 years after that. And he was uh, before then, too. He's the eternal son of God with the power of an endless life. And we read in verse 22, By so much Jesus was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Look in Hebrews 13. What is this better testament? Hebrews 13. Verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And that's the covenant. That's the testament being spoken of. Guaranteed, ratified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, that covenant that was made before the foundation of the world. Same covenant David spoke of when he said, although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. Christ is the, here's why it's sure, Christ is the surety of that covenant. Now, we've looked at this several times in the last few weeks, but a surety was not someone who would take responsibility if I couldn't do my part. <laughs> no, from the very beginning, Christ was my surety. Just like um, it was uh, Judah who said to his father with regard to Benjamin, I will be surety for him of my hand shall I require him. If I bring him not before thee and set him down before thee, let me bear the blame forever. That's what Jesus Christ said with regard to every one of his people as their surety, the surety of this everlasting covenant. Jesus was so, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Verse 23, and they truly, speaking of the Levitical priesthood, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Their priesthood would be over when they would die. But this, look at how man is in italics. But this priest, this God, this man, this Melchizedek, it's almost like there's not even a word. This, how will we describe him? But this, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Unchangeable, unalterable, immutable, perfect priesthood. You see, if he represents you, you can't be anything but saved. <laughs> it's impossible for you to not be saved if he represents you because of his unchangeable priesthood. Now, why do you say that? We'll read verse 25. 
Wherefore, he is able. Everything we're resting in is grounded in his ability. I'm not looking at my ability. I don't have any. I'm looking at his ability. Wherefore, he is able. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is able to present you on judgment day in absolute perfection? You believe that? Like the Lord said to that blind man, he said, do you believe that I am able to do this? I do. I do believe that he is able. All of my hope is in his ability to make me perfect. I can't make myself perfect. The law can't make me perfect. I can't do anything but sin in and of myself. If I breathe, it's sin. But he's able. What's it say? Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. How far is that? I don't even know how to give the right word to it. He's able to save them to the uttermost. To the end. To the utmost. He's able. I love what Paul said, wherefore, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Listen, all my faith is in his ability. That's all. That's it. His ability to save me. He's able to save them to the uttermost. Matthew one twenty one says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now listen, that salvation from sin is to the uttermost. You'll never have to pay the penalty of sin. He already paid it. You'll never be under the dominion of sin because the scripture said, Sin shall not have dominion over you. It's not going to be your Lord, for you're not under law but under grace. He's able to save you from the very presence of sin in this sense. You've already been saved from the presence of sin in Christ. You're already glorified. In the beloved, if he's in heaven, you're there too with him. Now that's glorified. That's uh, salvation to the uttermost. <laughs> Jude said, now unto him that's able to, pre- to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Faultless, sinless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, who does he save to the uttermost? Verse 25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost. Who? Them that come to God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them as their great high priest. Now, who is it that he saves to the uttermost? Them that come to God by him. Now, let me tell you exactly what that means. That means when he comes into his father's presence, you know who else does? Every believer. You see, I don't come in God's presence 
pleading Christ, although I do. But when my Redeemer comes into his Father's presence, I come to him. No man cometh to the Father but by me. When he comes into the Father's presence and when he remains in the Father's presence never to leave, I'm right there with him. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Four, verse 26. Four. Such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Now, none of the Levitical priests would fit this description. And this is exactly what we need, a priest who is holy. If he's not holy, he can't do me any good. He can't take my sins to himself if he has sins of his own. He's got to be holy. He's got to be one with a perfect, holy life. Holy, harmless. Don't you love the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is harmless? Separate from sinners. Made higher than the heavens. The place where he exercises his office as priest is in heaven itself. In the very presence of God. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Now look at this verse, verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests, those Levitical high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. You know something that every high priest, Levitical high priest had in common? He was a sinner. And before he could offer up a sacrifice for the people, he had to first offer a sacrifice for himself. Why? Because he was a sinner. And this represents something. Look in Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed, surrounded by infirmity weakness, sinfulness. You know, every true high priest, they were aware of that. They knew when they, when they were offering up that sacrifice for themselves, they knew that's the only thing that would make them fit to offer up the sacrifice for somebody else. And that's why he did this. Now, here's the difference between the priest after the order of Melchizedek and the Levitical priests. There didn't have to be two sacrifices. Now, look at the wording in Hebrews chapter Seven, verse 27. Who needeth not daily, every day those high priests had to offer up sacrifices first for their own sins. And then for the peoples, for this he did once. You see, the people's sins became his own sins.
and one sacrifice put them all away. He didn't have to offer up a sacrifice for himself for his own sins in the sense that he didn't have any sins. And the reason he can take my sins is because he had none of his own. And because he had none of his own, he could take on my sins and they would become his own sins. He said, my sin is ever before me. It became his. But that sacrifice only had to be offered once. And it did the job. By one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This he did once. Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests with have infirmity, weakness, sinfulness, flaws. But the word of the oath, that's that oath, thou art a priest forever. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The word of the oath, which was since the law. That oath was not made uh, till hundreds of years after the law. Melchizedek appeared hundreds of years before the law. But that oath was not made till hundreds of years after the law. In Psalm 110 verse 3 where, where I love to think of David. He was, I don't know what he's doing, but he's reading scripture. And he was reading about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. And the Lord revealed to him the priests after the order of Melchizedek. He's not like those Levitical priests. And he saw that. And that's when he, by the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit wrote that concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the oath, which was since the law, was after the giving of the law, maketh the Son who is Consecrated, my marginal reading says, perfected. Perfected. Forevermore. Perfected eternally. You know what that means? 1 John 4, 17 says, As he is, so are we. Right now. In this world. He is perfected. Eternally. Me too. Perfection. In Christ. Jesus. Let's pray. Lord how we thank you for. The Lord Jesus, that great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. How we thank you for the perfection we have in him. Lord, we're ashamed of our constant temptation to look to ourselves when you've given us this great assurance that in your son we're perfect. Holy unblameable and unreprovable. And Lord, we ask in his name that you'd accept our thanksgiving.
In his name we pray.